My turn to preach tonight. Brother Dan asked me to preach tonight. He asked me to preach on a, a message that we do in RU. The last the last week of RU is called Free to Serve. So when I was going over the message, I realized that he was very weighted towards addiction. So I've had to change it. So um, <clears throat> the title of the message is called Free to Serve. You know, after you get saved, you know, Jesus Christ makes you free. And one of the freedoms that you have is that you're free to serve. Uh, our memory verse is Romans 1.16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So now as I look out here tonight, like, like any other church, there's a, a mixture of uh, backgrounds, different people here, uh, different experiences and different age. You know, you may not identify with my testimony because my route to God came through addiction to alcohol. Yours might differ. You might never have taken a drink or a drug. Uh, you might have lived a good, clean, moral life. Uh, you might have been a churchgoer or a hard, and a hard worker, but religious. And that is trusting in your own righteousness, trusting in your own maybe church attendance and your good works until you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in Titus 3.5 it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. You know, I think of my wife. My wife was pretty much like that, religious. But like after I got saved, I, I knew that she was lost. But when she got saved, the same way as I did, it was through the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You may have grown up in a Christian home. It, it doesn't matter. You too are a sinner, and you owe a debt, a penalty for your sin. Um, you the wages, uh, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you heard the truth about yourself, and you called upon the name of the Lord to save you from hell. Or maybe you were caught up in a cult, and the Lord showed you the way out. You know, Satan has many different devices which he uses to deceive people and keep them in bondage. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2, 3 and 4, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world blinded, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. But that's what happens when the gospel is preached. There's a light shined into your soul. You see your danger. You see what's what's ahead of you. And you run to the cross then and you get saved. But regardless of how you came to know the Lord, you know, the result, the result is the same. In Ephesians 2.1 it says, And you had he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. In, in Colossians 2.13 it says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, had he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So twice there I mentioned the fact that you were dead in trespasses and sins. <coughs> And that you were quickened, that you were made alive. And both verses talk about that. And Colossians 2.13 adds that having, you know, you were quickened together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven you all trespasses. That's all your sin, past, present, and future. The penalty for that sin has been paid and has been removed from you. That's the truth that makes you free. In Colossians 2.14 it says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. 
I was thinking about that, like in my time in the service, you know, people that run foul of uh, ship's routine or captain's orders and that, there would be a charge sheet met out and all the charges would be listed on it and be marched up in front of him and all the charges would be read out and he'd ask you, how do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? <laughs> Mostly guilty, I think. Um, it's the same, you know, with us. There's a, there's a handwriting of ordinances that were written out that, that were against us. But now they've been taken out of the way. They've been nailed to the cross. So you're not guilty now. In John 5, 24, the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. So when you get saved, like it's, it's a passing from death to life. I think about uh, the Lord when he, um, when he spoke to Lazarus and he said, Lazarus, come forth, you know. And I mean, that guy was dead. But yet, he heard the word of God, and it brought life, you know. It's the same in salvation. You, you pass from death to life. So these are some of my favorite verses when it comes to salvation. You know, I think about these a lot. I, I obviously try to teach them, and I try to, but I meditate on them. You know, I just remember what God has done for me. And you ought to have the same verses, some verses in, in, to remind you of what God has done for you as well. Uh, for instance, a verse that's very important to me is John 6:37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You see, for a long time, in, when I came here first in 2002, and 2000, Christmas 2002 and January 2003, I was under conviction that I was a sinner and that I was lost, and I knew that I needed to get saved, but I held back. I didn't want to come to the cross because I had this, I just believed that I was not just good enough, that God would have nothing to do with me. But that verse, when I heard it, that verse, it brought me out of myself and it brought me to the cross. So it's very important. The Word of God is so important. So tonight, it's good to be reminded where you came from. Because if you're saved here tonight, you have a testimony. Each and every person here tonight who's saved has a testimony. But you also have a command to tell others. Uh, You were made free. You were saved to tell others what God has done for you. Okay? Uh, In 1 Peter 3.18, it's a verse I like. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So we have to be ready, you know. Sometimes people ask us like, and we have to be ready. So <clears throat> you come to a place then having, you know, when you got saved, you come to a place where, where you hear the Lord saying, follow me. You know, it's kind of like, I want you to follow me. Um, he, got, he calls you. He calls you to, save, to, to, to serve him. So that's the title of this message, Save to Serve. So I'll just pray and ask God to help me now. Lord, we just thank you for the great work you've done in all of our lives, Lord. You've uh, saved us and uh, you have put us into this church here. And uh, you've given us a job to do, Lord, to go out and to reach others with the gospel. And I just pray tonight, Lord, that we would just learn from uh, your word, Lord, as to how to go about and do that. Because uh, that's what this message is about, Lord. It's about going out and being a blessing to others and also are preaching the gospel. So I just pray that you'll be with me tonight, and those that are here, Lord, that it would help them, I pray in Jesus' name. So if you open your Bibles now, Romans chapter 6. You're saved to serve. You know, when God saves you, he wants you to serve him. And one of the ways you serve him is you turn from the life that you were, that you were living. You know, when you were saved, when you were unsaved, when you were lost, like, you were the servant of sin. 
and Satan and your fleshly lusts, Satan and your fleshly lusts, they, 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 they dictated your life. If we look at Romans 6.20, For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So what fruit had you when you, when, when you were lost? You had no fruit. The, the wages of sin was death. But when you were born again, saved, you were purchased by God. So if you just keep your finger there and go across to 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, when you were saved, you were purchased by God. It says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If you do want to know what the will of God is for your life, there's a good verse. To glorify God in your body and your spirit, which belong to God. So there's a calling there to come away from the life that you, that you were living and to come out and serve him. And then go back to Romans chapter 6. I asked you to keep your finger there and look at Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Will God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, which ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you? That's the gospel. Being then made free from sin, he became the servants of righteousness. So God wants you to serve, serve him by, by doing right, by, by, you know, coming away from sin and, you know, doing right in your life, you know, do, to do justly, to, 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 to do right. And I'm after losing my position here. Okay. So that's what he wants you to do. And that's the very first thing he wants you to do when you get saved. He wants you to come away from sin. He wants you to come away from the life you were because you can't serve God and serve, serve, serve the devil, basically. You can't do both. So then he, he'll ask you to serve others. God will always ask you to do things for others. Uh, he'll ask you to look to the needs of others. God's plan for you includes helping others to see that they can be saved and delivered from sin by the power of the gospel. Again, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So something like when you, when you meet somebody and when you get to give your testimony... It brings great joy. There's a sense of you having been used by God. It can affect another person's destiny. I went for a walk around the city. I was telling the guys in the office uh, last week, early in the morning, around 9 o'clock-ish. It was quiet, like around the holiday time. And as I was walking down by um, the, the School of Music, down that area there, this lady came out to me, and she was holding a bottle of beer. And she said to me, can you open that? Well, I said, she said, I have no opener. Well, I said, I have no problem opening bottles. I, I used to... I used to do a lot of that. So I opened the bottle for her, and I gave it to her. But then I, 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 gave her, I, I gave her my testimony, and I gave her the gospel. And I could see, when I was talking to her a while, you know, she was, she was about to break down, you know. And, but when I went into the gospel and told her the, the way out, I could see that there was a, an anger coming up inside in her. She didn't want to be told uh, what I was telling her. So I left it with her, and I carried on. But at the same time, I was left with this, you know, I had done something good today. You know, I, 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 I told somebody about the Lord. You know, when that happens, you know, you're kind of like, you're filled with joy, you're serving out of joy. Luke, Luke 15, 7 says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repented more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So, serving out of joy... I want you to turn to some truths that the Bible talks about, like when we get saved. For instance, go into the book of Ephesians.
Ephesians chapter 1. These are the truths that accompany your salvation. This, uh, these are the truths that you need to be meditating on. Um, because, you're, you, you know, your mind, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're changed by the renewing of your mind. So here's one, Ephesians 1.5. Having predestinating us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So we're adopted. That's the first truth that I've got there. You're adopted as a result of your salvation. And the next verse in one six, to the praise and glory of his grace, where he had made us accepted in the beloved. So you're accepted in Jesus Christ, not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Um, what about uh, John one twelve? You know, you are you're made a son of God. You know, you're you're, you're adopted into his family. You're made you're made, you're made his child. Go to uh, Romans five one. These are truths that I that I that I look to all the time. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, by faith, we're justified. And Webster's Noah Webster's dictionary said, "To justify is that you're pardoned from sin and accepted as righteous before God on the merits of Jesus Christ." So that that is tremendous that that you can stand before God, a sinner, because of Jesus Christ. That's uh, Romans five one. What about Colossians two ten? Colossians 2.10 And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You're complete. When you look to Jesus Christ, you're complete in him. There's nothing that you, that you need to add just to lean on him. He has everything that you need. You're complete in him. Back to Romans. I'll be back and forth. Romans chapter 8, and the famous verses, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. So, no condemnation. No condemnation. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. So, you know... You don't have to worry about what stage you're going to arrive in when you, when you get to heaven. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to work on you. He's going to change you. Hebrews 4.16. We'll just go to that. Hebrews 4.16. <clears throat> Some of the truths that, you know, that you have as a result of, of being saved. Hebrews 4.16. <clears throat> Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can go boldly. That's with confidence. Straight into uh, where God lives. Straight into where heaven is. And we can go in there and we can put our case before him. And we, ha- we can have grace and mercy. That's amazing. In Colossians 1.14... Colossians 1.14... In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So we're forgiven. And many, many more. There's, I have other verses here. I won't go to them all. There's many, many blessings as a result of being in Christ, as a result of being saved. And all these blessings bring great joy. And you can bring great joy to another person, to another sinner, by sharing the gospel with him or her. 
But there's work attached to it. It's not just, you know, you just don't walk out of here and just do it. There's work attached to it. So if you go to Philippians chapter 2. There's a certain mindset that we have to have. That's what we're speaking about here. In Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read from verses 1 to 7. If there therefore be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in in loneliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Then it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, taught it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So, you know, all down through that, like if you're, if you're looking for comfort from the Lord, if you're looking for fellowship with the Spirit or bowels and mercies, He wants you to do something. He wants you to fulfill ye my joy. You know, in, in Isaiah chapter 53, He said, for the joy that was set before me, He endured the cross. And here He talks about fulfilling ye my joy. And what He's talking about is that when we go out, like and when people get saved, that's His joy being fulfilled. That ye be like-minded, also like Him. Um, he said, let nothing be done through, 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 through you know, vanity and vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, he said, esteem, let the esteem the other better than yourself. So you're taking on, basically, what it's, what it's going to talk about here, the, the, the form of a servant. He said, let this mind be in you, which is also, it says, let it, let it. You can have, you can put on this mind. You can put this mind on, you can put it on tonight. He said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Um, he, he, the, the, verse, the verses tell us that you know he, that he was he thought of not he was God like he was he, you know he, he thought of not robbery to be equal with God yet he humbled himself and he did this he made himself of no reputation and he became a servant he humbled himself and became obedient so you know there's there's a, a there's a pattern there that we can adopt for ourselves even even just to get on with each other even in a marriage or even in even in here in church or any place you go, you can have this 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 attitude of a, of a servant, and it'll bring you a long way. If you will let or allow or put on this mind of a servant and serve someone else, you will give great joy. You will receive great joy, and you will fulfill his joy as well. It's amazing. As you can see, there's a cost and there's a debt involved. And Barry was talking about that last week. There's a debt to self. If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So there's a debt to ourselves because the flesh will always lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So we have to put, us, put our own flesh to death. So that's serving out of joy. There's, those are the reasons why we serve the Lord, you know, uh, for what he has done for us and the, the underlying joy that's there, uh, not only in our own lives, but <clears throat> we see it in others when, when, they, when they receive the gospel and get saved. That's what really makes it. Serve out of love. In Galatians 5.13, I'll just read it. For brethren, if ye have been called unto liberty, <clears throat> only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. We're called unto liberty. The Bible says, stand fast therefore in the liberty where Christ had made us free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. We're, we're free. You know, we're, we're, we're free. Uh, we're free not to sin again. We're free to serve, you know. 
we're not free to do what we want. We're free to do what he wants. Um, we're not just to sit back and say, look, I'm all right, Jack, you know. Um, that's selfish. But he says, by love. Love, we learnt in 12 Weeks to Freedom, or formerly called RU, we learnt that love is the sacrificial giving yourself for the benefit of others without thought of return. So it's a giving without thought of return. So I'm going to go to Galatians now. If you go to Galatians with me, Galatians chapter 6, <coughs> Galatians, Ephesians. Six verses one and two <clears throat> says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what's the law of Christ? The law of Christ is more than saying, it's doing. It's to come alongside someone and offer your time and your money, you know, whatever it takes, whatever the need requires. It's actually a giving out of yourself and, and everything that you are. It is a law, it is a, the law of Christ. It's a love that's visible. If you just go to uh, James chapter 2, it's a love that's visible. It's a love that can be seen. Verses 14 down to, down to 18. What did a prophet, my brethren, do a man say he had faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and if one of you say to them, Depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it had not works, is dead, be the law. Yea, men may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you that my faith by my works. So it's, it's, you know, it's seeing somebody's need, but it's not just uh, wishing them well. It's actually... You know, getting your hands dirty, whatever it takes to go and help them. I'm reading in the Old Testament at the moment, and I can see that when Abraham and Lot, uh, Abraham fulfilled the law of Christ. When he gathered his troops and went out looking for him, when Lot went astray, um, it's after they came up out of Egypt, um, Abraham and Lot, they were both, Abraham was very wealthy, and so was Lot, and the area that they lived in couldn't sustain both of them. So Abraham said there, there was uh, fighting going on between the herdsmen of Abraham and, and Lot. And Abraham approached Lot and he said, look, we be brethren. He said, let's, if it's separated, he said, if you want to go north, I'll go south. If you want to go east or west, he said. He gave him first choice. And Lot chose Sodom. And Abraham stayed in the plains where he was, in the plains of Mamre. You know, he showed he showed a love for him because there subsequently was a war in Sodom. I just wanted to go back there to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. I just got so much out of reading this. I keep getting so much out of just reading the words, you know, just going through the book of Genesis and then marrying it up then with the, the New Testament. And here's an example for me that I could use tonight. Genesis chapter 13, verses 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. <coughs> then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. 
But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And what happened after that then is down in verse um, uh, chapter 14, in verse 14 and verse 10. I'm just going to start there. But before that, there was a war there where, 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 you know, where, where Lot was. And this king called Chedorlaomer or something like that. He, uh, they, 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 the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah served him for 12 years. And then in the 13th year, they rebelled. That's what the Bible says. And there was war. And Lot got caught up in that war. And they came in and they took everything. And uh, they took they took Lot as well, as you can see there. And they ran then from, from this king. And verse 10 it says, I'm going to read from verse 10 to 16. And the vale of Sidon was full of slime pits, and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, fell, uh, fled and fell there. And they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals, and they went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. And there came out one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshgal, and brother of Anor, I think, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servers, born in his own house, 318, and pursued him unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued him unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. So, you know, Lot was overtaken in the fault. That's what why if a man be overtaken in the fault, ye which are spiritual. Abraham was spiritual. He, he stayed where God put him. But Lot wandered off. And Lot was overtaken in the fault. And Abraham went looking for him. Now, it cost Abraham time and money to help his brother Lot. It cost him life. But Lot was delivered. But it was only delivered to go back into Sodom again. Abraham loved Lot. And his actions showed that love. That's the point I'm just making, and I just wanted to bring that out. Abraham not only loved Lot then, like, and, and interceded for him, subsequently when God came to um, destroy Sodom, Abraham um, interceded for Lot then too. So, he, he, you know, it's like praying for him. So, you, you know, he, he's just an example of, you know, how we should be responding and reacting to problems in our own life. So right now there's a war for souls taking place right now. Many are held captive. But we have the answer. It's the gospel. And this church has been planted in this area so that souls can be saved. You know, we are his witnesses. We are in a war. And in order to win, I believe we must serve in unity. We have to stick together and serve together. So I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 to 5. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all loneliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even ye are called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Paul starts off there, he said, I beseech you, he says, I beg you to walk worthy of the vocation for which you are called. The vocation is a calling by the, by the will of God. What is our calling? You know, we're, we're called to uh, be witnesses. Uh, we're called um, 
to go out and preach the gospel. Uh, we're called uh, unto liberty. In Galatians 5.30, we're called unto liberty, but by love serve, but, but we're not, we're, we're called to by love serve one another. Those verses there, in verse 2, it talks about, you know, we serve in loneliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Here tonight, like, we've got to apply those, those um, graces to each other uh, in order for us to stick together as a group of people who have a commission like. We have to apply that to each other. Um, like if a husband and wife didn't have grace towards each other, the marriage wouldn't last, you know. So we have to do the same here because we have a calling. There's something higher than what we are here tonight. There's something, something higher, something, uh, something that we've been given to do. And uh, he's, the Lord is telling us, this is how I want you to do it. It says in verse 3, endeavoring, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I was looking up Webster's Dictionary, endeavoring. It's like rolling up your sleeves, basically, doing everything you possibly can to make sure that you don't uh, fall out with your brother or your sister or whatever. Uh, that would affect that would affect the mission of the church. Like That's what we're talking about. We're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit. Like we're all walking in the Spirit, but to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It says there is one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The greatest weapon being waged against the church at the moment is disunity. That's why we have so many different churches. That's why we have so many empty churches. Someone disagrees and leaves and starts up his own group or something, or his own church. That's why our outreach is not as effective as it should be. You know, you've got people who disagree with what you're doing, and then you've got people who just are not bothered. They don't really care. You know, someone else will do it, or is doing it. You know, why bother? So it's a really, it's a really bad attitude to have in the church. The church is the most important institution, which was built by the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for it. It is where his eyes are. It's not a building. We're not talking about this building or any other building that we might get. We're a group of people, as Dan was talking this morning, for whom he gave his life, so that we could have a place to learn, to love, to work, and to grow. I mean, look around you tonight. This is the body of Christ. This is it. And ask you, what are you doing here tonight? Go to, go to verse 11. Chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles, I read down as far as 16, and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what you're doing here tonight. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I'll try and explain that if I can. We're here. We're here to be trained to go out, basically. We're here to be, uh, to be perfected, like, and trained, uh, to be brought to a place where we can be of most use to God, like. So we have evangelists and pastors and teachers. Uh, and that's their job, and that's what they do. That's what Pastor does when he stands up here every, every Sunday. 
He's just trying to get people to realize, you know, that we've got a job to do. In verse 13, we're talking about the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Yeah, that, that we would, um, that we would aim for being the perfect man. That we, that, that, that the stature of the fullness of Christ. That that would be our own personal name. But like also, you know, I've written down here, believe it like. You know, you need to believe that, that that's, that's going to take place in your life as well. Because, you know, again with Abraham and Sarah, like, you know, when, when, when God told Abraham that you were going to father many nations, you know, things weren't going right for him for quite a long time. But he came back to him and told him that this time next year it was going to happen. And they laughed, both of them. They laughed, you know. And that's what Isaac means, laughter. When, when the baby was born, that's what he was christened. They laughed, like. But it happened. You know, it happened. God's word is true. And if he promises that he's going to perfect you, if, he, if he's going to, he's, he's going to, he's, he's going to do that job for you, he's going to do it. So just believe it. It's going to, it's going to happen. In verse 14, you know, verse 14 here talks about, um, hence for being no more children, tossed to and fro, carried out with every, you know, once you're in the word of God and reading the word of God, you know the truth. And you know, you can pick out straight away, and you can even, even if you're on the internet listening to somebody, uh, preaching or whatever, you'll say to yourself, that guy's off the wall. You'll know it like, because here, you're in the Word of God, you're in the Word every day, reading it every day, you're hearing it preached on Wednesday night, and you're hearing it preached on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and you're saturated with the Word. And as soon as somebody comes along and says something, you say, no, that is not true, and you know it like. So you're not being, you're not being like a puppet on a string, you're not, you're not being carried about with every wind of doctrine. You don't have to, you don't have to respond to that. But it says then, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, you know. <laughs> we're all, you know, we're, we're works in progress. Uh, there's a lot of us, there's a lot of us that have a lot of faults, more, some more than others. And this is where, you know, we're going to have to have grace with each other. And if we do have to speak the truth to somebody, speak it in love. In verse 16, did I do 15? We're speaking the truth in love, yeah. And from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplied. This talks about, you know, this, this human body like it needs, I need all my fingers, toes, I need, I need everything, everything that God has given me to walk from here down to the end of the room or to do what, what, what needs to be done. And in the same way, when God puts you into a church, there's a reason that you're here, like, you know, you know what I mean? You may be a little finger, but there's a reason for it, like, you know, you may not be the pastor or you may not be whatever. But like there's a reason that you're here and you're part of the body. And I was thinking, you know, uh, when I was in the service, um, I was the last ship that I was on, there was 45 people on board from the captain right down to the ordinary steward. And uh, I was telling Dan the other day in the office, uh, you know, when a ship goes to an anchor and pulls up an anchor when they want to leave, like the whole, the, the whole ship's company turns up for that. Everybody has a job somewhere. But there's one job, there's one guy who goes down into the chain locker. And as the cable comes up, his job is to pull that cable and to flake it out so that the next time the anchor is dropped, it doesn't get caught in the ball going up the hosepipe. Now, that's a very important job. If he's not down doing his job, or if he does, if he's not doing his job, and the next time that that ship needs to drop that anchor, it's going to go aground, because that anchor's not going to go out. So everybody, everybody whom the Lord puts into a church has a job to do, and should be here. So it's the same in the church. The church um, is the means whereby we carry out our, our vocation. It is where we are built up and trained to reach our community for the, with the gospel of Christ. 
In the church body, every person is needed to help the church function and to fulfill its mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, someday we're going to have given account of what we did in the body, whether it was going to be good or bad. Someday we're going to give an account of how we acted or interacted within the church. And uh, I'm just saying it, like, just to warn you, you know, because someday you will give an account. Someday. So the conclusion. Remember what the Lord has done for you. He has saved you. You have a testimony. Serve the Lord. Serving by serving others. Serve out of joy. Serve out of love. And serve in unity. That's the nice message.